Hey guys, on today's pod I brought on contributor Gavin Alcheron. We discussed the Toronto Raptors coaching search, the NBA Finals and how that relates to the Toronto Raptors, as well as off-season predictions and kind of what we expect the Toronto team to look like at the beginning of the 2018-19 season. First off, Gavin, what do you think Toronto should do for their next coaching search? If you were in charge of the hiring process, who would you pick? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I think I would go with Nick Nurse just because he's an internal candidate. And I think that if they're going to bring in a new coach and they don't want to make too many tweaks to their system, I think Nurse has the best understanding of the way the Raptors play right now. And he can give them the best shot at not going through a rebuild per se, but making the necessary tweaks to fill the holes and keep the team competitive for the next season. Yeah, he's an option that you can kind of change what you do without totally stripping the team of everything that's kind of built them into what they are right now. Yeah, exactly. This was a 59-win team last season. It would be, you don't need to scrap everything. You need to make Mm -hmm. changes to the current team rather than totally rip out and start new, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And for those who don't know, uh, it was reported earlier, I believe, by Michael Grange that Toronto has whittled it down to three options. We know for sure that two of the options are Nick Nurse, um, as Gavin mentioned, Tor Messina, and that third coach, we still aren't sure. Reports are it's between M.A. Udoko, I believe I'm saying that right, and um, Gosh, I know the Lithuanian coach. Okay, okay, I've been listening to videos all day of his name. I think it's pronounced Tsiranis Yeskevichis, something like that. Okay, yeah. So, if you were to rank them, so you said nurses first, how would you rank them kind of in order? Well, I think that, I, yeah, I would say Nick Nurse number one, and then I don't think you can ever go wrong with someone from the Greg Popovich coaching tree. So... And then I would put uh, Yaskevichis number three, just because I don't really know too much about him and what he brings. But from what I've seen, he's a pretty high-intensity coach that coaches with a lot of fire, and he's got some pretty good endorsements behind him from his players. But I'm not too sure about him. Right, and he doesn't have a lot of experience as a head coach either. Mm-hmm. Um, not only has he obviously had no experience as an NBA coach i believe he's only coached for two or three seasons over in lithuania yeah i think that sounds about right i think he was a player first and then he retired and went right into coaching so yeah he so he was a player um i actually wrote a profile piece Mm -hmm. on him he was a player over in lithuania came over played in the united states for about about two seasons didn't do much i mean he played a little bit for the pacers and then kind of got traded to Golden State and part of a huge uh, blockbuster deal and then never earned his way back into the rotation. Mm-hmm. He got bought out. But yeah, he doesn't have a lot of experience. So it was interesting to me that of all the European names, that's yeah. kind of the one that they gravitated towards. Well, I think, especially like you said, the Raptors were a 59-win team last season. And if you're going to bring in a coach like that, I would think that the team would lean more towards a rebuild if they're bringing in a unestablished coach like that sort of in the professional ranks so that sort of also stood out to me as well yeah I totally agree I think if you go with someone like him with very little coaching experience you're much more likely to see guys like Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Dell um, 
just because it's going to be hard to kind of gain the locker room of a bunch of veteran players when yeah, exactly. you're coached at all. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that kind of brings me back to Messina, who I also am a big fan of. Um, if it were up to me, I think it's kind of a coin toss between him and Nick Nurse. Yeah. He, he's had a more accomplished European career as well as coaching for Greg Popovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't. So. And then I also saw today, I think it was on Blake Murphy's Twitter, that Messina was in the city in Toronto recently uh, dining with the team. So. It'll be interesting to see if that goes anywhere. Yeah, and it looks like they're going to make the decision um, probably in the next week or so here. Yeah. So that will at least kind of give them a direction to have moving forward. Mm-hmm. What do you think the chances are of Nick Nurse and the rest of the assistant coaching staff returning if an outside hire like Messina Udoka is brought in? Um. Well, I think there's a pretty good chance because I feel like whoever steps in next will have the res- will have the respect for the rest of the Raptors coaching staff for the job they did this year. And I guess it all depends on if the new head coach and the assistant coach are sort of on the same page. Because if they aren't on the same page, then they're probably going to look elsewhere for new assistants. Right. And I think a lot of these guys like Kalamian and Nurse, I think they're probably one year away from getting a substantial offer anyways. Yeah, so I would I'm agree not, with that. So I'm not sure it benefits you to go jump to another team only mm-hmm. to kind of have to work your way back up their coaching staff. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're an assistant coach on the Raptors, they were the first place team in the Eastern Conference this season. And if you're going to leave and go work your way up with a lower level team, then it doesn't make much sense unless they're getting a head coaching position, in my opinion. Yeah, it it doesn't look like you're going to have a much better offer to go mm-hmm. an assistant somewhere. I mean, the only kind of better positions are with the Celtics, and they haven't lost any assistants. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Toronto, or Cleveland and Golden State. Do you think Tyler keeps his job after this season? Or what do you think? Perhaps, I mean, there's always a chance Nurse could be hired somewhere like there. It's an actual head coaching gig. Uh, I think... The Ty Lue situation, I think it might be a domino effect. Like, I think if LeBron James stays, I think that Ty Lue's job is safe. But I think if LeBron leaves, then the organization might look at, if they're going to move on from LeBron, then it might be a whole fresh start for the team as a whole as well. So I think that they could make Ty Lue uh, an expandable head coach. Really? Because I, I would almost go the opposite direction where, if LeBron does decide to come back, they would think they have to change it up and kind of want to try to impress LeBron almost in a way that they fired Mike Brown for. Yeah, and exactly. Obviously, it didn't work in recruiting, but I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to entice LeBron with mm-hmm. an offer of trying to find a better coach. Go ahead. And I guess it also depends on if they're looking at firing Ty Lue, who their candidates for the new head coaching position are, because there isn't a lot of big names per se out there on the coaching free agent market or available names, but there's like some solid assistant coaches around the league and solid college and European candidates as well. Yeah, it seems like there aren't a lot of coaches with prior head coaching experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple assistants. If I'm LeBron, I don't know if I necessarily want to play for a Nick Nurse or... Yeah, exactly. 
maybe Messina. He comes from the great Popovich tree. We know LeBron has a lot of respect for Messina or for Popovich, and perhaps it's kind of a David Blatt without the ego situation. But <laughs> I don't know if LeBron is going to want to deal with a new head coach once again. Yeah, exactly. I think that they would be more apt to try to kind of go the more experienced route, which mm-hmm. again, I don't know who that is available. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Yeah, speaking of LeBron, um, we've kind of watched this finals, and by the time everyone's hearing this, it will more than likely be over. If not, it's already three games to zero as we're recording. Um, Gavin, what kind of was your biggest takeaway from the finals so far and kind of how that relates to the Raptors? Well, I think my biggest takeaway is I'm almost glad, in a sense, that the Raptors weren't playing the Warriors, I guess, because it seems like no matter how good the teams are from the Eastern Conference, that it seems like nobody is truly ready to take on the Golden State Warriors in the finals. So I think there's a lot to learn for Toronto watching Cleveland play right now. Right, and it's kind of a lesson that as Toronto fans are so obsessed and so kind of focused in on trying to beat LeBron and conquer LeBron, that even once you do, you're running into another buzzsaw. Like, it's almost you're so obsessed with this one obstacle in front of mm-hmm. you that you're not seeing the bigger picture that even if you do somehow get past LeBron, and obviously that would be the biggest moment in franchise history and beat everything mm-hmm. they've done so far, but you're just going to the NBA Finals kind of hanging yourself out to slaughter. Yeah, exactly. I think that even if the Raptors were to beat LeBron and let's say it goes seven games, how do you recover and have enough energy to play in an NBA final series against the Warriors who their series don't usually go very long and how can the how could the Raptors really hang in there with the Warriors if they're on a on a rest and the Raptors came off a grueling series? It just doesn't seem like it'd be very a very close finals in my opinion. Well in the Cavs it, it looks like the when I'm watching the game it feels like the Cavs are playing at pretty high-level basketball for them. Yeah. Like, I don't think that the Cavs are playing for their talent level, particularly poor basketball. There's been some defensive miscommunications, but yeah. overall, they've just been outclassed, and you saw the Raptors get swept in four games. I can't imagine that it would last any longer versus Golden State, Golden yeah, exactly. State despite what's happened in the regular season. Yeah, I would agree with that, because Cleveland has LeBron, and then LeBron's got some Solid contributors around him, but he doesn't have really a number two option. I mean, Rodney Hood had a really good game in game three, but other than that, like, LeBron doesn't have a lot of help around him. And then when you look at Toronto, at the end of their series with Cleveland and towards the end of the Washington series, they sort of started to fall apart, and you can see the cracks in their lineup a bit. So I'm not sure, like, as you said, how long they could go against Golden State either. Well, and it kind of speaks more to as you're building this team, what the ultimate goal of this team is. Um, perhaps the goal is just to get to the finals and that would be enough, but if mm-hmm. you're shooting for any kind of a realistic, even outside shot at a title, you have to not only be better than LeBron and the Cavaliers, you need to be significantly better than them. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that I kind of noticed just while watching the game, um, that both teams have, the Warriors and the Cavaliers, that Toronto don't just doesn't have is kind of this positional flexibility, particularly the mm-hmm. Warriors. Where they yeah, they can play, the Warriors can play anybody anywhere, it seems like. Yeah, and they can play multiple different styles, and you're not really sure who's a small forward and 
who's the shooting guard, while the Raptors, kind of all their pieces are these nominal positions. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just looks like the Warriors are the team who's running the spread and the Raptors are the team who's continuing to run the power high. Yeah, I would say that when you watch Golden State, like you said, they can play anybody any It sort of keeps defenses guessing because... <sighs> You can game plan for one scenario, and then the next possession, it can change. But when you're playing against Toronto, everybody's sort of a positional guy, and then they have, like, one or two inter- interchangeable players. Like, you could bring Norman Powell in and play him at a small forward or shooting guard, but their lineup doesn't really keep defenses guessing, and it makes it easier for defenses to sort of take advantage of that, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's kind of the Warriors can kind of shape and mold their style to whatever is convenient mm-hmm. for them and whatever they need to to win, while the Raptors, again, are set in their one way. And, I mean, you can do a couple weird things where you play surge at the five, perhaps, and you can try to play small, but it's not like the Warriors where they can switch across multiple positions and play. You can either play big with uh, Looney or JaVale in there, and then they can also run up Hampton's five, you just don't have that kind of flexibility with Toronto. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. And I think that's one of the biggest flaws that Masai's had in building this roster. And I think he's done a good job. I don't want to make it seem like he's done a poor job. But I feel kind of if you look at what Boston's doing and if you look at what Golden State's doing, they're ahead of the curve where we're mm-hmm. just going to get these six, seven, six, eight wings and who cares if Jalen Brown's a power forward, if Jason Tatum's a power forward, or if Jordan Hayward is. We're just going to get a bunch of wings. We're going to get guys who can switch across positions, and we're just going to kind of play the new evolution of basketball that it feels like mm-hmm. Toronto just hasn't evolved to. Yeah, I would say, like you said, you look at Boston's roster, and you look at the Warriors' roster, and then when you look at Toronto's roster, the NBA is sort of evolving into a positionless game before our eyes, and the Raptors are getting there, but they're not quite there yet, and they don't have the flexibility because you can't play Valanciunas out of... You could play Valanciunas at a four, but realistically, he's better as a five, and then you clash with Surge, and you can't move Surge down the lineup. And so it really it gets kind of messy when you try and move around these guys because the Raptors are a more set-position team, whereas the NBA is leaning towards a positionless shift. Right, and you see some of the younger players. I think the younger part of the roster is actually a little more built towards this model where Pascal Siakam, I'm not sure what he exactly is, but I want him on the floor. Um, yeah, OG I think he could o- be a point forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So an OG can kind of shift up and down positions. And DeLon Wright, I'm not really sure if he's even a point guard anymore at this point. He's yeah. played off the ball so much. It's... These guys are kind of more what the game's heading towards, but Serge Ibaka, you can play him at the four, maybe at the five. JV, you have to play at the five, and you know you just don't have you don't have a lot of guys that you can mix and match lineups, and that really mm-hmm. limits any coach that comes in's options moving forward. Yeah, exactly. I think that the way basketball is moving, it sort of reminds me like baseball in a way, where you have these guys that are utility players and can play multiple positions when you need them to play and that's something that the Raptors should try and develop in their system where they can have different guys playing different positions because 
when you can keep a defense guessing and you keep shifting your guys around, it's a, it's a great recipe for success, in my opinion. That's a great point. Yeah, the baseball comparison where you have this guy who can either line up at second base, third base, um, and kind of plug in the holes of your roster. Um, you kind of need those guys who you can mix and move around. Um, I think you see similar things in football as well, where you have these mm-hmm. guys who are wide receiver running backs. You're not totally sure. Um but you just want the ball in their hands. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of, I think, and perhaps it's just a trend, but I think the overall kind of emphasis between all three sports is you just want to get your best players on the mm-hmm. field or court, and you're not sure. You don't care how. Mm-hmm. You know, it's these small lineups. Not all of them are that much smaller than before. I think they're just more lake-sized and more we're just putting our five best players. I don't care their height. Yeah. But um, speaking of the Raptors roster, what do you think Toronto is going to kind of do here moving forward? And what do you expect from Masai um, as we head into the offseason? Well, I think that one thing Toronto really needs is like an energy guy to keep the morale up. And they had that in PJ Tucker. And I'm sort of on the bandwagon for the Raptors should have kept PJ Tucker because when you watch. Tucker in that Houston series against Golden State, he was always in there for rebounds. He He's always aggressive, and then he keeps his teammates in check. Like He's a guy that he walks in a locker room and everyone instantly has his, gives him respect because he's a leader, and I think that the Raptors have their leaders in DeRozan and Lowry, but they need that guy who can sort of get everyone's morale up and a high-energy guy that people can follow when the, when the score is not going their way or the ball isn't going in the hoop for them. Well, I'm trying to say it's 2020. But if you look back on last offseason, if you're able to keep P.J. Tucker and offer him a little bit more money and then just hold on to the Damari Carroll contract instead of giving mm-hmm. up your first-round pick instead of Serge Baca, I mean, I don't think that there would be many people, if any, that would say that Serge Ibaka is a significant upgrade over both Tucker and Carroll. Yeah. And then you also gave up your first-round pick along with it, so... That was a tough one this offseason, and obviously when you look back, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, you know, Serge is going to take this regression, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of tough to look back at that situation. Um, If you were to put odds on it next season, if if I said, what are the odds that Toronto's starting five from last season is all, they don't have to be starting, but they're all on the roster next year, what do you think the chances are? Uh, I think there's a good chance that they're all on the roster but I don't think there's a great chance because last summer in the NBA there was tons of blockbuster moves and it sort of shows that these NBA GMs aren't afraid to make a huge move if they get the right offer and I think that if Masai Ujiri is really looking for a move that can light a fire under his players and he needs to get rid of a star to do that I think that that would be a move that he'd be willing to make if he can get the right offer. Well, and we haven't seen, for Masai, I think he's done a great job. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly at the back end of the draft, picking up guys of value. Um, I mean, it's going to be hard to find a team that's drafted as well as the Raptors, particularly at the end of the first round. Yeah. But what you haven't seen him do yet is make that big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been kind of open about that they tried to trade Kyle Lowry. Yeah. And it, and it didn't work which, thank goodness, it didn't. Um, Yeah, that would have been a pretty bad deal for Toronto, I think. And it's funny how the deals that you don't make 
kind of come back to save you at times. Yeah. It's certainly not the only one, but we still have yet to see Masai kind of take his big bite at the yeah, exactly. apple. And I'm not sure if it comes this offseason or if perhaps he's just a more patient GM. But I think if there's an opportunity there, I'd be very disappointed if he doesn't exploit it mm-hmm. to at least shake up this roster a little bit. Yeah, I think that when the Raptors acquired Serge, a lot of people thought that it was going to be the big move. But then when you look at the way he sort of regressed this season, I don't think it played out the way the fans expected. I don't think it played out the way the team expected because he's now on this huge contract and nothing's really certain with Serge anymore. So it'll be interesting to see what they'll do to sort of bolster their roster this offseason. Is Serge Ibaka power for it anymore? What do you think? Hmm... I would like to say yes, but I think Serge Ibaka is not as athletic as he once was, and he's not, he's still good, but I don't think he's the star that many thought he was anymore. I think he can still bring a lot to a team, but I think that it puts the Raptors in a tough spot because JV, as everyone knows, is not the most athletic player, but Serge Ibaka also is not the most athletic player to be guarding fours anymore, but then it comes down to who do you want to guard the opposing team's power forward. So I think Serge can be a power forward, but I think going forward it might not be the best move for him or the team. I, I just think if you're putting Serge in the optimal position as a basketball player, what's his best situation? I think he's playing at least 50% of his minutes at center anymore. Yeah. Like, I just between not being as athletic as he once was and just the way the game's evolved now, I just would rather have mobility at that position. Yeah, exactly, especially especially with the way the NBA is changing. Like we said, it's sort of positionless. So if a team goes small and puts an athletic guard at the four, per se, or an athletic small forward and then move them down to the four, can you count on Surge to be able to guard that player? Is, I guess, what it comes down to at the end of the day. Well, not only can he not really guard that position as well, he's not in great advantage to take... He's not a great player to take advantage of it on the other end. Mm-hmm. He's not suit, He's not a enough post player where he's going to punish you as yeah. a small forward, and he's certainly not a good enough passer that even if you do send the double team, it's really going to kill your defense. So if he's not taking advantage of small forwards on the other end, I don't know why any team in the NBA doesn't just go ahead and stick their small forward on him and say, I'll just size down, I'll get the additional spacing on offense, and then I feel comfortable guarding Surge with a three. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't kill you on the offensive boards either. I think Mm -hmm. with his finals, you see kind of Cleveland, the one thing that they have been able to do is – They've been able to just kill Golden State on the offensive mm-hmm. class with the two guys in Love and Thompson that just yeah. constantly crash boards. And I just, you don't get that out of... The Raptors play two traditional big men without yeah. that same ability on the offensive class. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say, if we're talking about the offseason, I think Toronto should look for an offensive rebounder or someone that they know is going to crash the boards because... A lot of where they struggled in the playoffs was, like we said, was 
crashing the offensive glass and getting those second chance points off of offensive rebounds, which I think is also huge in today's game. Yeah, I totally agree. As everybody's running more, if you get a guy who can just totally kill a team on glass, it not only slows them down, but it gets you easy points. Toronto is stuck in this gray area where they're playing big. They're mm-hmm. they're a big lineup. I mean, when you talk JV, Ibaka, um, DeRozan as a two guard. I mean, even OG could slide down if he wanted. Um, and Kyle Lowry's not big, but you know the majority of the roster is relatively tall, but they still don't kind of rebound at an elite level. So yeah. It, it kind of it's tough. You sacrifice facing and offensive uh, kind of fluidity on one end if you're not getting the benefits of at least being a big team. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that there's any chance, I guess, to me, there's there's three centers on Toronto's roster, if you count Serge as kind of a center hybrid. Do you think there's a reasonable deal for them to either get off Valanciunas or to get off Ibaka without giving up a pretty considerable asset. I think the way Valanciunas played in the playoffs, to me, really raised his stock as a trade asset. So if you're the Raptors and you don't want to get rid of a major asset, but you also want to acquire a significant piece, I would say Valanciunas, as of right now, would be the better option to trade because he's still relatively young and... He's developing a three-point shot, and I think that after watching his play in the playoffs, he would have more value than Serge would on a trade market at this point. Yeah, I agree. Um, Kind of after heading into the postseason, I'll be honest, I was skeptical of Valanciunas' worth. I thought that he just couldn't stay out on the floor against the most elite teams, but his teams kind of start to switch more. JV, at least, is someone who can take advantage of that, where I don't think you see that with Surge. And he's also just a much better passer, and you can kind of run the offense there him a little bit more than you can with Ibaka. Another interesting thing about Valanciunas is it seems that he gets to the playoffs and, like, the switch just goes off inside of him, and he is starting to average, like, a double-double per game, which you don't really see that from him in the regular season, but he seems to play a much more fired-up brand of basketball and much more motivated, so it'll be interesting to see if he can sort of carry that same level of basketball that he plays in the playoffs over to next season, because I think if he can consistently average a double-double and play the way he plays in the playoffs in the regular season, then that also makes him a really interesting trade piece as well. Yeah, and I think that a lot of kind of what his success was this season was he, he was down in minutes significantly over what he has been, and kind of just in those minutes, he's been much more aggressive looking for his shot, and I mm-hmm. think... If, if you're failing Tunis, you're always going to be at least a small liability on the defensive end. He just doesn't have the athleticism to kind mm-hmm. of be an above-average defender in my eyes. But if you're only playing 20 minutes and you're a complete beast on the offensive end, then you can offset that um, yeah. to the point where if you're not being aggressive, then it's kind of why, why do we have you out here if you're a defensive minus and not being aggressive on the offensive end. And then I think another thing, something that I just thought of is if Toronto is to trade Valanciunas, I'd love to see Pascal Siakam in a more featured role in the rotation because I think that 
if the Raptors are going to choose between trading Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka, another thing in the back of their head is, do we think that Pascal Siakam is ready for a bigger role in this offense? Yeah, I, I think that's going to happen either way. I think that you need to get Pascal onto the court as much as possible. I think his minutes need to be up, even if you had JV and Valanciunas back. I don't know if that means eating into Yaka Pirtle's minutes. I don't know if that means playing Ibaka less, probably maybe even both. But I think that next year, Pascal, especially if you see a similar growth that you saw in his first year, yeah. I think he needs to play a lot. Yeah, I think Pascal Siakam has a lot of the tools that you need to thrive in the new, the quote-unquote new NBA. And there should be no reason that the Raptors shouldn't be taking advantage of that, in my opinion. I, I totally agree, and particularly if he can get that shot down, um, not even above the break, if he can just hit corner threes, that would be yeah. enough. Um, what he provides you as far as defensive flexibility and as far as secondary playmaking, like I said, if he can just get at least a corner three-pointer to be... Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be tremendous. It just has to be kind of a respectable level. It would be huge for the Raptors. And another yeah. thing he does is if you play him with the starting lineup, you can kind of switch everything besides Valanciunas. Because mm -hmm. you have guys like DeRozan, who's, I mean, DeRozan's what, 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, um, I think so. He's pretty big size. Uh, OG Ananobi can guard kind of 1 through 4. Siakam can guard 1 through 4. And Kyle Lowry's a bulldog and has kind of proven himself in the post is kind of similar to Chris Paul in that yeah. he's so stout that you can't really take advantage of him down there and his hands are so quick um, that you can switch a lot of possessions if you put Pascal Siakam on the court along with DeLon Wright. I mean, you have a, you're starting to build out a Raptors roster as much as I criticized earlier with guys yeah. who can kind of switch and play the new style of defense that it seems like everybody wants to play now. Yeah, and especially with when you touched on DeLon Wright, his three-point shot has come a long way as well, I think, and that's also another valuable skill for him and the Raptors as well moving forward. What do you think kind of the chances he gets dealt are? Well, I wrote about it earlier this week, and I think that if the Raptors re-sign Fred Van Vliet, then I think it makes DeLon Wright a more savvy trade option because... He's got term left on his contract. He's young, and unlike a lot of young, restricted free agents, he's got a lot of playoff experience. And if you're a team like Orlando, who doesn't really have a young point guard, but you've got sort of veteran point guards, a guy like Wright could be like a bridge point guard until you find that really franchise cornerstone starter for a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think... He could also be used as someone to kind of help you get off a little bit longer salary. Yeah, exactly. Um, to kind of help you re-sign Van Vliet. So it might be something where you come into an agreement with Van Vliet, mm -hmm. and then it allows you to use, I think, he's not enough of an, uh, he's not enough of an asset to attach to Baca or Valanciunas. Yeah. But I think that DeLon Wright and Norman Powell, you could probably get into a team with cap space. Mm -hmm. Like the Atlanta Hawks, if you're Atlanta, Go ahead and take a flyer on Norman Powell, um, mm -hmm. and then you get DeLon Wright along with it. I don't think that's a bad option if I was a team who was kind of looking for some back, kind of, kind of uh, backcourt help. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And then I also think that if the Raptors are looking to get into the draft this year, it's a pretty deep draft class. And I think that if they're trying to get into the draft, Wright is a guy who could probably get them into the second round, which also helps them load their talent pool for the future. Because when you think about the makeup of this team, nothing is really certain moving forward in the next three, four years. So if you can go into that second round and get a guy who you can build for the future, it could also help this team a lot in the long run. Well, right, and to be frank, his contract comes up after next season. Mm-hmm. So if you do get a player at the, say you get an end of the first round pick or a top of the second, those are someone that you have under control for a little bit longer. Exactly. And you don't have to give a payday quite as soon. Because it's going to be difficult is if you keep Frank Van Vliet and then you also have Kyle Lowry on the roster. You're going to be contributing a lot of money to the point guard position. Yeah. And I guess at the same time, if you bring in Van Vliet and you give him a big contract, how does that affect the morale of DeLon Wright, who's sort of grinded off the bench for the last few years but has never... He's gotten opportunities, but he's still not had that huge opportunity like Van Vliet got this year. So it'll be interesting to see will happen there. And someone who, when needed to, slid off ball for the benefit yeah, exactly. of Fred Van Vliet. So, I mean, that can I could see how that would get under kind of your, that would get under your skin if you're like, hey, I slid off ball, did whatever the team needs, and now he gets mm-hmm. to reap the benefits with a mass, massive contract. Yeah. The only thing I wouldn't, that I hope doesn't happen, is that another team offers Van Vliet a contract that the Raptors can't, not necessarily can't match, but shouldn't match because it's very expensive and the Raptors have big contracts and they match it anyways because that could really put them in a hole moving forward as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of scenarios that can play out from this Fred Van Vliet contract situation that I don't think a lot of people are talking about because there's so much other stuff going on with the Raptors, but I think a huge part of their offseason is going to be what happens with Fred Van Vliet moving forward too. Well... And the nice thing is that, one, you do have the flexibility of having DeLon Wright also mm-hmm. on the roster, so you don't have to overpay. Um, if he was the only backup point guard, it, you would feel in a bind where you had to pay him kind of in order to retain the asset. Yeah. Another, another nice situation for Toronto is that he's coming up in a time where there's absolutely no cap space. Mm-hmm. So it's you won't see him get that Evan Turner, Timothy Moskov ridiculous yeah. deal. Um, I think it's probably going to be in the eight to nine million dollar range. Yeah, I would um, agree. Um, probably someone's full mid level, um, probably even a non taxpayer mid level. Um, mm-hmm. But you won't see someone kind of break the bank like you might have seen in past years. Yeah. I mean, in 2016, he probably gets 15 million per year. So. I think that when Fred VanVleet does get his extension. It'll set the market for point guards moving forward in free agency because another interesting guy to look at is is uh, Isaiah Thomas, who had a great year in the uh, in the last two seasons, but then this year he wasn't that great, but he could still get money. And I think him and Van Vliet will sort of get in the same range contract-wise. I agree as far as value. I think that Isaiah Thomas is kind of going to be more apt to sign a one-year prove-it deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you're Fred Van Vliet and still have earned 
very little money in the NBA. If I'm yeah, him, I want to take a four-year deal, lock myself in, and get my $30 million contract. But another interesting option is Marcus Smart, who is kind of similar age to Fred VanVleet, probably yeah. will have similar teams, but of course a totally different player as far as style and playing. I think if Toronto could get Marcus Smart, that would be huge because like we talked about guys who bring it on the defensive end, and I think Marcus Smart, the way he plays, is something that Toronto needs next year. Yeah, I, he would be a perfect, if you're talking glue guys, cap-wise, I just don't see how it works. Yeah. But yeah. just from a skill set standpoint, I totally agree that he's someone who would blend in perfectly with Toronto as far as a mm -hmm. toughness uh, kind of glue guy who does a little bit of everything. Um, before we take off here, Gavin, are there any kind of lasting thoughts that you have for the postseason? kind of what you're looking forward to the most or what you're watching the most from Toronto? Um, I think what I'm watching the most from Toronto is well, I'm watching the coaching change. Everyone's watching the coaching change that's that's happened and now we're looking for a new coach. But I think it'll be very interesting to see the moves that Toronto makes this offseason because everyone's saying that no one's untouchable on the Raptors. But I think to believe that no one's untouchable on the Raptors will really have to see something big happen this summer. And I feel like if there was ever the time for the Raptors to make a big move, this summer would be the best time because they they are struggling to advance in the playoffs, but their regular season success is sort of plateauing, and it might be the best time to make a big change, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that there is a sense of everyone being available, but no one being likely to be dealt, kind of yeah. like, so I did an article, um, also at Raptors Rapture, where it did the chances of everybody returning, mm -hmm. and it, I mean, almost everybody had a high chance of returning, but when you start to kind of multiply those positions out, it's almost like someone is going to get moved, but I have yeah. no idea who it's going to be. Yeah, exactly. It, it's such a, it's such an unknown for the rap for Toronto right now, because like you said, like it seems like everybody's available, but really, who could actually be available and who would actually be moved? Right. If you're a Boston Celtics fan and you're watching this offseason, you're thinking, is Terry Rozier going to be moved? Is mm -hmm. player, or if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, you're thinking, is Kevin Love going to be moved? If you're Toronto, you don't know who's going to be on the roster next season. So yeah, exactly. The team really is in kind of a state of flux. Well, also, I wouldn't be totally surprised if the roster looked very similar next year. Yeah. I I would say to Raptors fans out there, don't be surprised if this roster looks much the same come next season. Because I can see that as a legitimate possibility that it looks the same as it did this year. Yeah. With a few small additions and subtractions. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it actually could look similar for the next two years. Um, mm -hmm. And they just kind of run out these contracts on Lowry, um, Abaka, and Valanciunas. Yeah. But um, I think that does it for now, Gavin. Thank you very okay. much for coming on the pod. No problem. And My pleasure. Come on anytime. Thank you.